Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Amy, the three most important words in your life will be never give up. You will be faced with some of life's hardest challenges. Have courage. You are braver than you believe and stronger than you seem. Simplify. Don't sweat the small stuff. Laugh, because sometimes that's just the best medicine. Be confident in who you are and your choices, but don't be afraid to fail. You will make mistakes and learn things that don't always make sense. Trust yourself. Be patient. Good things take time. Savor every moment. Life is short. It will all be worth it in the end. You got this, girl. Today on the podcast, I have Amy Corbin. She is my husband's aunt, so Nate's aunt, my father-in-law's sister, and she is just incredible. I'm so excited that she was able to speak with us this month. I love that we were able to hear from Sky about what it's like for her to have an autistic son, and Amy is going to answer her questions about what it's like to have an adult child with autism. Amy is amazing, and she really has been such an advocate for Austin and helping him reach his dreams, not only for Austin, but really for the whole autism community. She is an inspiration, and just her love and admiration for her son is amazing. As I was going through this interview, I couldn't help but crying as I was listening to Austin talk about his experience. He had a dream of writing a book, and at the time, he couldn't read or write, but his mom supported him every step of the way and helped him to be able to write a book and to be able to publish it and it's just such an inspiring story I hope you enjoy learning from Amy and Austin this really is a very special interview for me Amy thanks so much for being on the podcast today I'm so excited to have you thanks for having me I remember one of the first times I met you I was just so impressed with you you're just such an amazing mom and you do such a good job taking care of your kids. And also I was just so impressed of how, how you treat Austin. And I will talk a little bit about Austin today and about autism and everything, but I just think that you are such an amazing example of a mom with a son with a disability of loving him and being such a amazing support to him. Well, thank you. It sounds funny asking, where did you grow up? Because I know this already, but <laughs> there's no... Tell no us worries. where did you grow up um, and how did you like your older brother, Chad? <laughs> well, let's see. Let's get to the real. So, no, I grew up in Holiday, Utah. Lived there all of my life. Of course, I love all my brothers, right? <laughs> and... Really, actually, to be honest with you, have learned a lot from each of them. I'm the youngest of five children, three older brothers and an older sister. And I honestly wouldn't have it any other way because I've taken bits and pieces of each things in my life that they've taught me. And each of them has taught me something differently that I can apply to my life. 
you know, of course, my older brother, Chad, being one of them. And so I really cherish that. Yeah, I love all of the the gardener aunts and uncles. I feel like they're also fun, but you guys really do all have very different personalities from each other. It's true. We are all very different and in both personalities and just the everything in every way. And I think those things are kind of what bring us together and make us each so unique and, you know, make it so that we can, I don't know, just learn from each other. And it, I just, it's, it's cool. And we do, you know, we all have a good relationship. And so it makes it neat that we can go to each other for when we have questions or when we need something and not something you find, at least that I know of in families of now a lot nowadays. Yeah. So what were you like as a kid, Amy? The best way to describe me is fiercely independent. From the time I could sit up, my mom used to have to tie me, literally tie me with dishcloths into my high chair because I refused to let anybody else feed me but myself. I always took care of myself. I entertained myself. (laughs) So I think the best word to describe me is fiercely independent and creative. I could make, and friendly, I could make friends wherever I went. We often traveled a lot when I was younger to all different sorts of places. And everywhere I went, I always found a friend, whether it was at the swimming pool. I remember one time in particular, we were in Hawaii and my parents look over and I had befriended a little Japanese girl and neither of us spoke each other's language. She didn't speak English. And of course I didn't speak Japanese, but we played the entire afternoon all together and not not a single word was spoken we just knew that we were friends and at that time we were both the same there was no differences between us other than just being great friends and having a good time and that was carried that on to you know throughout my entire life where I'm easy to talk to I make friends wherever I go and fiercely independent (laughs) that's awesome I love that story I think that the youngest kind of have to be a little bit more flexible, right? The the older ones, they get kind of get a little more attention. And then being the youngest of like a bigger family, you kind of have to be a little bit more independent in certain ways. But then I think that it really does bring a lot of great qualities of being super friendly and and be able to talk to anyone because you're kind of put in those type of situations at a young age. True. Very true. When you were younger, what did you envision motherhood to look like? Gosh, you know, I think it's the pretty, you know, your stereotypical, you you know, you want to get married, have the little, the house with the, you know, the white picket fence and have kids and, and, you know, everybody's healthy and happy and your husband brings home a decent paycheck and you can stay home all the time and, and, you know, they grow up and get married and you become grandparents and, but One thing in my childhood that I specifically remember is back when I was um, 13 and I was just entering into our churches, what we called mutual, I was called to be a, like a helper, if you will. I don't remember if there was a specific term for it back then for a special needs mutual. I knew that when I was called to this position that I, it was, it was my calling and I absolutely loved it. I learned sign language, started learning sign language. Then I had a really cute girl that I was like her mentor. She had down syndrome and she was my absolute favorite. And we stayed friends up until she passed, passed away. But I just knew 
that it was my calling, but yet it was even it was even more than that in that I continued my studies throughout of sign language throughout high school and then into college and then even went more so into like communicative disorders, something in that realm of having to have to know this of the world of disabilities or, you know, the world of being different. And I just I knew sometime or somewhere that I was gonna have to use this knowledge and this passion of mine. I just didn't know when. I just love the 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 kids that I worked with. I loved being in that community. It was just a part of me. And so that's really um, awesome. I remember when I was in second grade, one of my good friends, she had Down syndrome and I loved her. And I still do. I call her every year on her birthday. I had a few opportunities in junior high and high school to help the special needs classes. And there really is just something really special about kids with disabilities. They have their challenges, but they really are so loving. And it's it's a really neat experience. I feel like I I really treasured the time that I got to do that. You are so right. They have just this unique genuine love for everyone they meet and it's since their love is infectious it really is and it you can be have the worst day ever and spend an afternoon or an hour with one of these cute kids and it will totally turn your world completely around and you can't help but just smile at how awesome and amazing they are and i think that's how ultimately at first what drew me to them and then of course you know having going in my later life, unknowing that I would, my love and my passion was, was much, there was much more in store for me. (laughs) It sounds like you were really prepared to be a mother of a child with autism. I would say prepared. Yes. And no, I don't think anything can actually prepare you to be a, a mother of an autistic child. I think that now that I look back on it, I am so grateful that I gained the knowledge that I did because I don't think I was as scared or as nervous to be told that I had a child that was now being diagnosed with autism. I had been versed in all the ADA laws, been around them. I know, kind of knew how, kind of in a general way, how life worked. This is still back when there was um, not very much known about autism, and autism was very stereotypical of a child that sits and doesn't talk, doesn't speak, and rocks back and forth. We were just nearing the the age where we were able to gain a little bit more knowledge and knowing that that was not the autism was more of a spectrum, not just one specific way that uh, the, these kids that were being diagnosed with autism was, and so. Ultimately, I don't think anything prepares you, but it it certainly did help calm my fears and my nervousness about being told that I had a child with autism. You know, it's interesting, even like in my lifetime, which is probably Austin's lifetime as well. I remember they talked about Asperger's and then autism, and then it kind of turned into they don't really use the term Asperger's. It's more of on the autism spectrum. Correct. Yeah. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice when you first found out Austin was autistic, what do you think you would say? 
I would probably tell myself that it's going to be okay. That Austin has a purpose. He is the way he is for a reason. And I never wanted to, to necessarily change Austin. And just to pretty much be brave and be confident. Um, there's many situations where we were faced with where they make you question your your worth as a mother and as a person. And by and just knowing that I am his mom and that you know I know Austin the best. I live with Austin and to trust my instincts and to to listen to myself and to really not care what the what everybody else around me says. Everyone's gonna have their own insight of what I need to do and you know, what's wrong with them and how to cure him and how to fix this and how to fix that. But ultimately, Austin really doesn't need fixing. He just needs love and understanding and patience. I think collectively is just to listen, you know, listen to yourself, be patient and be confident in, in who you are as a mother. I love that. So obviously that applies to Austin or any child with special needs, but I think it applies to all of our kids. We know our kids the best. They live with us and they need our love. Right. Can you describe Austin's personality for us? I mean, I love Austin. I think he is just so charming and wonderful and he's funny. Can you just kind of describe his personality so that people who don't know Austin can kind of have a a visual of him? So Austin is kind of atypical for being, I guess, diagnosed as autistic. Most autistic kiddos are, um, they're not very social. They don't do a lot of eye contact. They like, they kind of regress a little bit. And Austin is the exact opposite. Austin is extremely loving. He is extremely social. And he, his greatest asset is his empathy. He's always making sure that everybody is happy. He's very aware of people around him and their feelings. He's probably the only teenager I know that actually refers to his two younger sisters as his princesses. And ultimately, he treats them that way as well. If he sees them, I remember um, them coming downstairs in their prom prom dresses for the first time and him just looking at them and going, wow. Sissy, you are beautiful. And he's always the first to compliment and to help, lend a helping hand and just so happy. He's always the happiest kid. Austin sees his world in picture. So he, he's very much so animated. He repeats a lot of the things that he sees out of the movies and puts them into correct context. So if you are to ask him a question, he may answer you with a line from a movie, but it's actually in correct context. And he does that because he has a photographic memory. However, his photographic memory is not something that is constantly there. And I I don't know if there's a word specifically to describe it, but we describe it as, for example, one day he can tell you who wrote the alphabet, what they ate for breakfast, when, when when they were born, what their favorite color was. But then maybe two days later, he has a hard time getting through the alpha full alphabet. And it's kind of random. Um, and so you never know what you're going to get. 
But ultimately, he is a tough kid. He's tall. He's very handsome. And you wouldn't know that he has any disability when you first look at him because he, he seems on the outward appears very normal, which can also be very difficult for other people understanding him and who he is. Ultimately, Austin's autism comes from his speech and then his his lack of academic skills. He's 23 years old. He just turned 23 um, last month, but he's still on a sixth grade level in some things. And then in some things, he's only about five years behind. So it's kind of interesting just to kind of have to juggle two different brains, if you will, <laughs> brain ages, because we have a very mature 23-year-old. And then some days we have a very immature, you know, sixth grader. But ultimately... Austin, besides being extremely handsome, is the most lovable, genuine person you'll ever meet. He he's so sweet. I love Austin, and I'm I'm glad that he's gonna come and chat with us for a few minutes today. Yeah, I know you've been an advocate for autism and special needs. Can you share a little bit about what you've been able to do? I started. After Austin was diagnosed, I was working mom. I had just barely had a a young, well, I had a young baby. His little sister, Alexis, was just about a year and a half. I got the diagnosis of autism and I didn't know really what that meant, but I wasn't going to take, I didn't, I remember thinking I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take the information that the doctors gave me and just let it be. So I quit my job. And I threw myself into everything autism. We were referred to the Carmen Pingree School for Children with Autism. And so I went to the school. I became what would be the equivalent of the PTA president. That was really, it was really a difficult time because at that time, Austin was just barely, I don't think he was really even three years old. And they would, he would get on the bus at 7 a.m. in the morning. And they would bring him back at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so I was, I mean, obviously a mother upset because I felt like I'm going to be missing most of this child's life. He's going to be, someone else is going to be teaching him and raising him. And so I decided that I was going to, I went in um, probably three times a week to the school and I volunteered in his classroom so that I could work with them and learn what they were teaching him so I could implement those skills at home. And yes, I had a small baby and she came in tow and she grew up at the, uh, at the Pingree school as well. She went on to go to preschool there and I would go into his classroom. And that was really the time that I had to spend with him. Um, we spent it at the Pingree school and I did that clear up until he was um, going into first grade. And then after that, I was able to become a member of the governor, the Utah Governor's Council with People with Disabilities. And we focused on advocating for um, not just people with um, autism, but people with all disabilities and how to be able to teach them how to not only advocate for themselves and stand up and speak for themselves for things that they needed, but also to bring public awareness to businesses, law enforcement, hospitals, teachers, doctors about how to better understand and handle people with disabilities so that they could have a the professional can have a better experience with them. And then also, of course, the individual with disabilities themselves. I mean, just really giving them a better way of life. And I did that, you know, for quite, 
for quite some time and then went on to continue my relationships with, you know, my autism community and helping on Capitol Hill with the autism line item and just different things, you know, throughout. And I don't think it ever stops. Of course, I have different kids with different needs. And so there were a couple of years there that I had to pull back a little bit with my involvement direct involvement with autism, but it's still something that we continually, you know, that I'm a part of and speak daily and give advice daily with, you know, what's, what works. And we kind of all collaborate together. It's kind of really cool. The autism community is really a tight knit community where we bounce ideas off of each other and say, Hey, I ran into this, you know, has anybody encountered this and how did you handle it? Or what are some different resources, even down to like um, friendly places that will are, you know, more autism friendly to eat, to dentists, to doctors, to stuff where we really kind of collaborate together because it really does take a jungle or a village, actually not a jungle, a village, it does take a village to, you know, to kind of raise these kids and give them the best life that, you know, we can. I'm glad that you have a good community to help. I think that whenever you can surround people around you with people who have similar things they're going through, I think that that's always beneficial to even just be able to know that you're not alone. Exactly. You were kind of talking about how you were teaching doctors and police officers and different lawmakers and things about autism. And I know there's a lot of misconceptions about autism. What do you wish more people knew about autism? I would say that, first of all, autism is not scary. There is a lot of, there's so many different, on the autism sector, there's so many different levels of autism. And that even one of the, and I'll use my my own son, Austin, as an example, even the most normal looking child that's been um, diagnosed with autism is this should be is the same as one that's very that is more has more severe symptoms so my one of my biggest fears is if austin were to be approached by a police officer in a scary situation when he particularly gets nervous, he stutters and he can't get his words out. And in an intense situation where the officers want something done right now, you know, put your hands up, do this, sit down, do this, move to the side. He freezes and, you know, he looks very normal for someone on the outside, someone that would just be a regular 23 year old. And that's, that's, you know, that's not true. And so we would try and educate police officers or even, you know, first responders that some things that might, they might look for and to maybe that might give them a red flag, if you will, that something's not quite right with this person and maybe ways to deal with it and to give, you know, if somebody's looking very normal and, you know, they can't get their words out, you know, or they, they run or they hide, um, there's certain like body um, gestures, some, you know, speech things that they can pick up on that they might not use as much force or they might have a little bit better understanding so that they're, you know, not in, in putting more danger, you know, getting the, the kids aren't getting in more trouble than, you know, than they were normally for the mere fact that they just don't understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I never even thought about that in like a, in a situation of being pulled over, but that would be really scary 
as a mother to think, oh, what would happen if a police officer stopped them and was yelling at them and and if they didn't react in the right way, you know, I mean, we hear stories all the time about bad encounters with police officers. And I didn't think about that in terms of someone with a disability and not really being able to react the way that somebody else might react. Right. And one of the things that we did do is um, we've moved quite a few times um, within Utah, but each time we move, we introduce Austin to the police officers that are regularly around our area so that they, he has a common face. And so they know that if he's ever in a situation, especially where we happen to live, where he might have to rely on them for help, or they might have to go find him, that they know who he is and know, oh, I recognize this boy. And I know that there's, you know, that he might need some extra help, or he might have a difficult time understanding what's being asked of him. And they, they will have just a little bit more understanding. And that's one thing that we've really tried to do, you know, when we move places or even when we went to, uh, you know, Disneyland or any vacation, we always had like a little bracelet that we would put on him that would have his name and his, how we could get a hold of us and that he, you know, was, um, had a disability um, and to, you know, to speak slow or, and I know that one other thing that they've done within the autism community that's now more is we purchase shirts that says, basically says, you know, got autism, have autism, you know, to try and help people understand that, you know, there is, there is some, a little bit extra understanding is needed that, you know, without coming out and saying, hey, my kid has autism. It's just these subtle ways of saying, hey, this is what you're dealing with. And, you know to be a little bit, you know, more understanding. Yeah. Do you feel like people for the most part have been understanding? Actually, not really. It's very interesting because I think it depends on where you are. If we're comparing like maybe 10 years ago to today, I would say that it's gotten a little bit better. There are always people out there that are quick to judge the screaming kid in the supermarket or, the family that's kids runs around without shoes and socks on and looks like <laughs> they haven't been bathed for days. Right. But I just think, yeah. I think, I feel like it fluctuates. I feel like some, sometimes I feel like that we're well, that we are better understood. And other times I feel completely like I throw my hands up in the air and think I'm just doing the best that I can. Right. And can have a little bit more compassion and a little bit more understanding. Um, and I think that's lessened a little bit as Austin's yeah. gotten older. I do see it a lot in my friends that do have younger kids with autism. Yeah. I don't have a child with a disability, but even where, when we're at the park and sometimes Hayden's a little more aggressive and, you know, I'm trying to get him to calm down or different things like that. I feel like I've definitely been in situations where I felt like all the parents were judging me and like, why can't you get a hold of your child? You know, my child's just sitting here well-behaved, doing everything totally fine. And you're like, I wish that I could just snap my fingers and that they would listen the way that your child is. And, you know, it's all kids are so different. And I definitely feel like that is, that's been hard for me. And so you obviously have a more extreme situation. So I can't imagine feeling like that all the time. 
Yeah, there was a one instance that was quite funny, and I'll just share really quick, is that we were at Michael's, it's a craft store here in Utah, and Austin wanted a little chocolate that was called Sixlets. And at that time we were keeping him off of sugar and dairy. And so I told him, you know, no, Austin, we'll go home and get a treat. But he was going to have that Sixlets, whether he wasn't leaving that store without that Sixlets. And of course I have to, you know, he did a little temper tantrum in the middle of the store and you're like, all right, I'm going to have to pick you up. And of course I had all, I'd been there and I'd had everything in my cart and I just, you know, there again, you just have to walk away from your cart. I'll come back another day and pick it all up for tonight when my husband gets home. And I picked up Austin and started carrying him out of the store and he started screaming, help me, help me. You're not my mom. And you've got to be kidding me. And so of course, everybody's looking at me. And of course I did get stopped by, you know, like the, the store manager that, that called the police and we had to wait until the cops got there and all this time Austin, he just wants chocolate. He's like, he has no idea. He's oblivious. You know, he, he didn't realize what he had done. And the police officer gets there and I'm explaining the situation that he's autistic and he has to check me out. And he takes, you know, by this point I'm feeling like a criminal. And I remember thinking, you know what? Okay, fine. I looked at Austin and I said, okay, Austin, if I'm not your mom, then this officer is going to take you to your mom, to your mom. And I said, go ahead, officer, take him home. And, you know, I hope you find his mom. And he like freaked. He's like, no, wait, you're mine. No, mom, help. And I says, but I'm not, but you said I wasn't your mom. And he's like, no, mom. And I showed the officer that I had a family picture, which I always kept in my wallet, showing there was a picture of him with me as a family, because I can't tell you how many times I've had to use that picture to say, this is my child. He just wants chocolate. And um, the officer just had a good talk with him. It was like, buddy, you can't do that. You know, this could be very serious. And and it never happened again after that one incident. Um, There's many before that. But I remember at that breaking point thinking, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to kind of do this reverse psychology and say, okay, take him, (laughs) you know? And I think that kind of like, you know, and that won't work for obviously every, every family, but it is something that, you know, I was faced with more than once having people call, you know, uh, you know, um, what would you say security or stuff on me because he would scream and yell and, and his favorite thing was to say, you're not my mom. And so, and that it was something I had to get over and was very hard for me. You know, I cried many times. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. You think of a bystander and if somebody was taking somebody out of the store and they're like, that's not my mom. Of course you would hope that people would, I don't know. It's a hard thing because yeah. if it really wasn't their mom, you'd want somebody to take care of the situation. It's just not funny when it's your life over and over again, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But nonetheless, something that is very real that we, I know more than myself has faced at one time or another. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So speaking of funny things about Austin, do you want to share a little bit about his land before time obsession? Yes. Austin loves land before time everything land before time. He has every VHS video 
Under the Sun every now we've had to kind of duplicate that with um, DVD. That was Austin's prized possession. And honestly, for the longest time, we had a really hard time. At first, it was cute. You know, Land Before Time, dinosaurs, cute. And then we started to really struggle as he started getting older in his teens and still being obsessed with dinosaurs, these Land Before Time cartoons. Until we really sat down with him and said, hey, Austin, like what, like what, why do you love these so much? And his response was very compelling. And basically what he told us is that if you, if you've ever, if you've watched them for time, they have a very close camaraderie and they really take care of each other. And every story has something that is very touching in it. And it really honestly touches his heart. And, and as you, as I was thinking about it, that's the way Austin treats other people. I think in Austin's, in Austin's brain, that is the perfect world for him. And it doesn't matter that they're dinosaurs or that they're actually a cartoon. It's the way that they treat people. The music that comes out of it and the message that it gives is really who ultimately Austin is. And so I kind of think that it's kind of who, it's his perfect world. And if you think about your perfect world or my perfect world, we become obsessed with that and hold on to that. And ours just looks very different as far as maybe we want to travel or we want to, you know, have children. But for Austin, his perfect world is just a world of acceptance and love and understanding and good thoughts. And so that's kind of become him. And so with that understanding, we've kind of just embraced that he is 23 and loves land before time. <laughs> Didn't he have a time where he was like buying, didn't he buy like a bunch of Land Before Time videos without you knowing or something? He did because that was one of our time when we were having a hard time grasping the fact that he was 15, 16 and still wanted to have Land Before Time, but he had a job. And so he did have a debit card and that we would, what we thought we were kind of policing came to find out that he actually got very good at using that card. And one of his jobs was he would go work up at uh, the Smith's marketplace and he would sneakily purchase these movies and hide them and notebooks. He has a, a kind of a passion for notebooks, like sketchbooks as well. And he would secretly put them under his mattresses and under his bed in drawers. We've came to find out he was actually throwing his clothes away because he didn't have room for his movies. <laughs> and so when we came to know every once in a while, at least once a year, we have to do an overhaul of Austin's room because he doesn't like to throw anything away. Everything has sentiment to him. And so every piece of paper, every, you name it. And so we do like an overhaul once a year out of his, of his room and came to find hundreds of dollars worth of movies and sketchbooks that he had tucked away <laughs> that's so funny well that's so sweet that he really identifies with land before time and it makes you grateful that there's good people that put out good shows that can really speak to him and help him to be a better nicer person yeah can you tell us a little bit about what school school was like for Austin and how he handled that and, you know, were kids nice to him and how did you navigate school as he got older? So school, elementary school, I think there's, there were struggles in each age group. 
In elementary school, he still get, did get teased quite a bit. He was in what's called a cluster unit, so in a, in a public school. Um, after he left the Pingree School, we put him, we mainstreamed him to a public school, but they still had what's called a cluster unit where they have kids that have disabilities or need have special needs would, would be in their main classroom together. And Austin being on the higher functioning side would get to branch out and maybe go to PE with the regular kids because his hand-eye motor coordination is very normal. Uh, and he, but he still would get bullied on the playground. His speech is one of the things that kind of haunted him the most. He doesn't, his brain doesn't always process as fast as ours normally do. And to get words out and get them to, to get them to connect and make sense can be very challenging at times for him. And so kids would tease him about that. They were very, kids alone are pretty impatient, right? And when it takes a good maybe minute to get out a sentence, you know, they're already done and on to the next three activities before he could get his his sentence out. So he got left out quite a bit, which I think is where his he talks to himself quite a bit. It's called echolalia. Repeats a lot of things, comes in. And he did get teased about the normal things. He had through um, sucking and different things that we went through in his childhood, he had some, some teeth problems that we had to get fixed that kids would tease him about. And he came to us and pleaded with us to get him braces so that the kids would stop making fun of him. And so that was kind of sad, but, um, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking. And it was kind of one of the moms that wanted to march right up to one of the the parents' doors and be like, do you know what your kids are doing? But ultimately we always would try and turn the cheek and say, you know, Austin, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's very sad that they look at you, your teeth and not how awesome you are, but let's get you fixed up. And, you know, and, and we wanted to make sure that he knew that just by getting his teeth fixed doesn't mean that now he was even, he was a better person. He was always that person. We were just going to make his teeth look awesome. And we really, really focused on that, not with just Austin, but with all of our kids is instilling in them in them that they are unique and they are awesome. That being normal or being like, just like anybody else is, it's better to be different and be unique than just like everybody else. So we really try to focus on embracing his differences and making, turning them into positives instead of negatives so that he didn't think that, well, if I just get my teeth fixed, I'll be better. Or if I just, you know, cut my hair a certain way, I'll be better. We really try to be like, Hey, it's okay to be different and it's okay. Uh, if this is going to make you feel better, let's do it. But you are awesome with or without it. And then going through his junior high years, I think those were probably one of the the easiest years as far as socially. But of course, those are your awkward years where you start to to understand about a little bit more about who you are. And Austin, that's where Austin really ultimately became aware that he was different and he didn't really know why. He knew that he maybe should be um, reading and, and doing things like his peers, but couldn't really understand what was different about him. Those were a little bit challenging in that he was getting more self-aware that he should be up to the level of other junior high kids, but he wasn't, he wasn't quite there. And then ultimately in high school, again, this was solidified because you have the kids that come in and they talk about going to, you know, on dates and on, to football games. They're, they get up and sometimes they'd have to read out loud in class and he could, he could never do that. He just knew he was a little bit different. So that was, you know, a little bit of a challenge, but he wanted so badly to just be like everybody else. He really wanted to 
not just be Austin. He wanted to be somebody and wanted people to understand. And, and again, that's when we also embraced like, Hey, you can be somebody, you know, let's figure out what you can be and want to be. And then let's, let's work, you know, work towards it. And one of the things he really wanted was he wanted a job. He was also very independent. He loves money. We wanted also, of course, in his um, teaching him life skills, we wanted him to be able to to learn about money and, and what it means and, and to work hard, that money just doesn't grow on trees, that you have to work for money. And then once you get money and you buy something, then that money completes. But I think the high schoolers were the best out of, the high school was probably the best out of, you know, your grade school and your middle school, where I felt like, although they're, you know, you're never going to be without the, the one or two kids that kind of have a snide remark or a bully. But I believe that those were the best that the kids more or less got it. And they really wanted to kind of include them, include him in, you know, in their activities. We are very fortunate to have some great neighbor boys that would come and include him. And sometimes, you know, they would let him go to movies with them or, you know, they would come and get him to take him for ice cream and try and give him a little bit more normalcy, which you don't really see that kind of compassion or connection with the junior high kids. But yeah. And I wonder too, with the elementary kids, if they just didn't really understand that he had a disability, but they knew that he was different. And so they kind of picked on him. Whereas when they were older and a little more aware, do you think they understood the disability and then wanted to protect him more? Or why do you think it changed so much? You know, I think you're spot on, Liz. I think that little kids don't understand. And I don't know that we could really expect them to understand. However, wouldn't it be awesome if we could change that in elementary schools to be able to say, hey, even if somebody's different, whether it be a disability or not, or maybe just the way that someone is just raised differently, whether they're from a different country and maybe has a different culture, how we can just embrace differences rather than single them out. And I, I do, I do believe that in, in high school, you, they get, as they get a little bit somewhat more mature <laughs> in that aspect, they understand. And ultimately it was more, I mean, I guess I can't really say it was more boys than girls because I think it was equally, you know, you know, equal, but um, I do think it's just, you know, it's, it's understanding, it's knowledge. And, you know, as I always say, knowledge is power. And I feel like you've done a really good job with your girls teaching them about supporting Austin and being, you know, you talked about how Austin loves his sisters so much, but they also love and adore him so much. So how were you able to teach your kids about Austin and his special needs? So for his direct younger sister, Alexis, she's our middle child. As I had kind of mentioned before, she grew up preschool with him. She, we put her in a preschool that had special needs kids. So she was always surrounded by them. And then I think for our youngest, Bella, they learn by example and how we treat other people. It's so important that, you know, they actually, you know, they just embraced Austin and they really had a program. A protection mode. And it kind of goes both ways because it's really funny because I remember Lexi's first date and how Austin said, you know, if he hurts you, I'm going to break his arms. 
And at the same time, his sisters were always watching out for him and protecting him. And I think that goes with, you know, within the home, we never allowed them to treat each other terribly. They were not allowed to be mean to each other. They were not allowed to, when I say tease each other, not tease, but meanfully tease, like as to cause harm or hurt feelings. We focused more and more about loving each other and how Austin did have a disability and being very, they were always very aware of the kids around them and how they treated him. And ultimately it's been awesome because my girl's will be the first, Alexis has gone on to graduate and will be her first year teaching in a special education, as a special education teacher. So she has, like it's a grown up, yeah, she's grown up with them, blossomed, and she really has a knack for just a connection with these special kids. And so that's been really become a part of her, of who she is. And she's a very, an advocate for these kids as well. And has, we've really focused more on um, being the person that believes in them. You know, it just takes one person to believe in someone to make an incredible difference. My girls, especially Bella growing up in grade school would always look for the kids that were sitting alone or the kids that didn't have a friend on the playground and would really ultimately drop everything and go over and be their friend so that they would have a friend because they they saw what you know Austin went through and they didn't want anybody else you know to feel that way I just really feel like if you know we really focused on that at home about making sure everybody was included and loving each other and just being you know, best friends and that ultimately we're in this together and that we, you know, we are a family and we have to make sure that each, you know, pull each other through. Yeah. Well, I really admire the love and compassion you've instilled in your children because they're all so loving and they support each other and you know, being a mom of two young kids, I know that that's not, it's easier said than done. You can say that, but it's not, it doesn't always come natural. And so I really admire that you've been able to do that. And, you know, you talk about having someone who believes in your child. And I think that you're such an amazing example of believing in Austin and especially with him having his dream to write a book. Just a little bit of preface. So Austin came to us when he was about, I want to say nine, maybe nine, 10 years old. And he said, mom and dad, I want to be somebody. I'm like, okay, that's a good goal. (laughs) No, I really want to be someone. I want to make a difference. And then he said, okay, well, what does that look like for you, buddy? And he says, I want to write a book. At that time, our kind our hearts really honestly kind of sunk because Austin did not know how to read. And he did not know how to write at this point. And we, you know, we didn't want to crush his dreams and be like, oh, how is he going to do this? He can't even read and write. And so we really try and make everything as exhausting as it sounds, a learning experience. And so we did, we talked to, you know, my husband and I talked together and we said, you know, we could, we could really use this to our advantage because he was very adamant and very passionate about writing this book. Um, And when I mean passionate, he would come up at our room at like 12 AM, 1 AM in the morning and be like, I'm going to write a book. Okay. I'm going to write one. 
you know, and it was relentless. And he would leave notes on our pillows. I'm going to write a book. And on the mirror, I'm going to write a book. And it was never spelled right, ever. It was, you know, but we, he would decipher it and it would always be the same, but it was, he was so relentless. And so we said, okay, buddy, here's the deal. If you work really hard to learn to read and to write, we, and you write a book, we will make sure we will do everything we can to help you and make sure it gets published. And he really took that to heart. He worked on this with his teachers. We set his IUP goals. We bought him a reader. It was a little pad that would you could put a story on and it would read to him. It would highlight the words to kind of help him. My mom and dad, his grandma and grandpa would, would, would read with him at any, any opportunity they got. His sisters would sit down and read with them. And ultimately, little by little, over the span of 10 years, Austin learned how to read and to write and started writing his own children's book. So with that being said, I will grab Austin and he can kind of tell you a little bit more about the reason he wrote it and how this all came to be. Hey, Austin. Hey. How you doing? Good. How are you, Austin? Fine. I haven't seen you in a long time. Good to mm-hmm. hear your voice. Me too. I'm so glad that you're here to tell us about your book. Why did you want to write a book, Austin? Because I wanted a kid. Kid, I told, I told my mother her right here. Her, I got up one night right here and told my mother, said, I want a kid, kid, kid to be somebody. I wanted it to be an artist and try my my own book so i can prove people wrong so that that i have have the strength the spirit and the heart hurt her to succeed to prove the wrong that's what i did i'm so proud we're doing that we have your book what do you think at our house and we love reading it you love it yeah i love it how did you get the idea for your book Tell everybody what your book's about and what it's called. It's called Old Sir George, The Quest to Find His Grandfather's Sword. About seven young heroes that are trying to save their land from the clutches of an evil lord. Mm-hmm. And I got Where did you get this idea? I got the idea... A long time, a long time ago, school, go school, when I was five years old, old, with my, when I had, when I got the newest, coolest knight's castle. This is no ordinary place set. It once changed the course of my young life. That's how Sir George was born. He began on a cold night in the month of Christmas. I got the best, coolest toy ever, Dragon's Castle. I asked her for Christmas, and I did. It. The fun got even more funner. It had a movie with it. I played with the new with my new toy and watched the movie at the same time. And it was this story that inspired me to write my famous novel, Sir George, The Quest to Find His Grandfather's Sword. That's how I got the idea uh, long ago, when I was five years old. December 25th, 2002. 
That's so amazing that you accomplished your dreams. And can you tell us what did it feel like when you actually were able to hold your book in your hand and that you actually published a book? So how did it feel? Yeah. It felt really good. I proved those those people wrong. Now others can have that chance now. And artists too. For for generations to come. And hero heroes get remembered. But legends never die. Legends live forever. Follow your hearts, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and you will never go wrong. Ever. And my motto is never give up. Never. And you never gave up. Was it so fun never. when you got to do your book signing? Oh, yes. Everyone there really liked me. I got everyone, the kids, kids and the and the gentlemen and the ladies. Everyone, they love they love me right here, sir. They love my life's work. Yeah, they love it. Well, I love it, and I'm so proud of you. I think you're amazing, and you're an inspiration to everybody to go after their dreams, no matter how hard it is. If you keep trying, you can do anything. Indeed. Yes, we can. When you our dreams come true, when you believe. And most well, of all, so much, Austin. Is there anything else, any other advice you have for us? Yes. Dream, dreams, dreams, dreams are, are born from the heart right here. When you accomplish, when you, when you accomplish your dream right here, you will never go wrong right here. You don't need a you don't need some 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 sort of fancy object to show people that you're cool. You just have to believe Eve. Eve. Not from here, but here. And that becomes the strength and the power. But by the strength and believes from the core of their hearts. That's what makes them special and strong. Because what makes you what makes you because what makes you different is what makes you autistic. That's what makes you special. It's all the same thing. What makes you different is what makes you special inside that counts. Right. Yeah, and we're so grateful you're in our family. Our family definitely wouldn't be as wonderful of a place if you weren't in it. We love you just the way you are. Thanks. My nice sound hold a lot of copies. He's from from to all over the world. And if somebody wants to buy your book, how do they buy it, Austin? Well they'll buy well they'll buy it on Amazon, eBay, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, and yes, even Target. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. Now my, but right now, but right now, my book has had hit hit on a jackpot in another country. It's Portugal. Really, I didn't know that. My book has landed in every country from all over the world. And they love it. <laughs> <laughs>
That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today, Austin. You're so wonderful. Thanks. You're good. Okay. You can go. Okay, Lala. All right. Thanks. He's so awesome. I love that kid. I know. He was saying, go after your dreams, and it was making me emotional just thinking about him and him talking about his life's work and... I just think that's so sweet. He, I mean, it, it really is amazing to think that he couldn't read or write, but that he had this drive to write a book and to be somebody and he did it. He did. And can you, I mean, if you think the magnitude of that, Liz, is that he, I mean, I wasn't thinking about writing a book when I was 10 or 11 and it took him 10 years, 10, like most of us, I would have given up by now. But he had a passion and he had a motive and he was going to do what it took to to succeed. And I, if you want to kind of compare that to the goals in our life, how many times do we have something we want to do when it gets a little bit tough or when people tell us you can't do it or they're always knocking us down that we don't want to get back up, that we really just do want to give up. And he never did. And he had plenty of people telling him or laughing at him or kind of mocking him that he would not be able to complete this goal. But he never gave up. And he kept on working towards it, working towards it. And after 10 years, he still was going strong and really worked hard enough to learn to read and write. And the book, he's illustrated it himself as well. And in the making of the book, when we were sitting down with the publisher, we were very specific and we kept some of his earlier pictures in the early of those 10 years so that you actually can see a progression, not only in Austin's, the way he writes the book, but in and as how he gets better with his pictures as illustrations. And so the book has a lot of deep meaning and shows his progression over these 10 years in, in the illustrations. It was, it's just such a huge accomplishment. I know in my life, I look at Austin and when I want to just throw in the towel and I have a little thing sitting on my computer screen and I'll get a little emotional when I say this is because I remember one time just feeling like ready to throw in the towel and like, I'm just, I'm just done. And he sat with me and he says, mom, you know, what's going on? I says, I'm honestly just done Austin. I'm ready to just, to just give up. I'm so frustrated and stressed. And that night on my pillow, he has written with his signature swords, a little note that says, mom, I love you. Always remember, never give up. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken a look at this simple post-it note and it is now framed. And I think if he can do this against all the odds and all the people that told him no and laughed at scorn to him, I can get back up, brush off my knees and keep going. And I, this kid is, I just learned so much from him. And so um, he is truly a blessing in our lives and a true hero to me. I think that's the beauty of being blessed to have a child with disabilities. I mean, obviously you have your challenges, but you also have this person who loves you unconditionally and is so inspirational and so pure of heart. Whereas I feel like the rest of us kind of get a little jaded. We get a little too much of a realist, but I think their pure 
childlike love and determination is inspiring and also a wonderful blessing. It is very much so. We have Skye, who we just recently listened to her podcast, and she has a young boy, Dallin, who has autism, and she had some questions for you because she's dealing with kind of the younger years, and she's curious about a few things as her child gets older, what it's like, and she was wondering, you know, how do you help? How did you help Austin to get a job? This was one of the things that was as a motivation for his book. He knew the book was going to be expensive and we've always tried to give, you know, one of the biggest things is that we, we always, we never treated Austin like he was different in our family. He was expected to do chores and he was expected to help around the house. He never got away with because he, you know, he had a disability. He didn't have to do things. That's not how we ran our house. He was expected to do just as much as his sisters. And in return, my husband and I were very adamant about not just buying things for the kids just because they wanted them or when they wanted them. We would, they would get chores and they would get, they would have the chores they have to do just because they lived in our house. And then they would get an opportunity to do extra chores to earn money. And then they would be able to spend that money how they wanted, no questions asked. And so Austin, you know, really loved money and he really wanted to write this book. And so we said, okay, you have to help earn money to get this book to, you know, to get the book published. And so we, we took him just like anybody else. We expected him. He went in, we had him fill out a job application. And of course we had to, you know, sit next to him and help him answer it. And he, we were very fortunate to have some, we went to Macy's, which is where he was going to work. And they were so kind enough to give him an interview. And I did sit in the interview with him. I didn't really say anything unless it, you know, I needed to, but he was very, very nervous. So really, and honestly tried to, we always treated him just like he was any other kid and helped him to understand that there is value in money and and that, you know, he would have to, it wouldn't just be given to him, that he would have to earn it. And in doing so, it was, you know, was a part of getting a job. And he actually was really excited to go out into the, the world and actually get a job. He was super excited. He was very nervous to do his interview and stuff. But we made him go through all the motions just like we would, you know, any of our other kids. Although, like I said, I did go with him with the interview and I had to sit down and help him fill out the application. And then even after he actually was offered the position, now he only worked like one day a week for four hours. And that's all he could really handle. But he, we were so, but Macy's, they were so kind and so awesome that they had a little, uh, one of their workers kind of shadow him and teach him. But we let them know too, if at any time, like he was not doing, you know, what he was supposed to be doing to let us know that we would come in and help him, make sure that he was actually a valuable employee. We didn't want them to just let him do whatever he wanted to do. He needed to be providing value for them. And if he wasn't, then, you know, to let us know and that we would help, you know, adjust how he wanted to. And then ultimately we opened his own bank account and we were very, we let him see how the money would add up. And he loved to check his bank account every payday and watch the money grow. 
And so it, it was a, it was a, it was a valuable tool and just, you know, making him not doing everything for him, making him aware and, and letting him see his, how his hard work was making his money grow. And then being able to use that, you know, for things that he wanted. And then, you know, he really had a sense of, of, of pride in, you know, earning his own money. It wasn't something that was just given to him. It was money that he earned, that he worked for. And he really, he really liked that. Yeah. That's awesome. So another question that Sky had was, what are things you've done to help Austin be more independent as he navigates adulthood? Which I know kind of goes along the lines of helping him get a job and things like that too. Yeah. So I think the most important thing that we have, we've kind of learned is to really honestly treat Austin like any other 16 year old. There were times when we had to give a little bit more leeway for him, but he was expected to follow rules. He's expected he does his own laundry. Sometimes he has to have reminders, but we really, really try and treat him the same way we would treat any of his other siblings. He has chores. Back when it was, when he was younger, you know, he would get in trouble and maybe get grounded and he would get screen time taken away and stuff. Really, it was just all about making sure that he didn't get any special treatment. There were, like I said, there were on occasion that we would have to be a little bit more lenient, but ultimately it gained, he gained a sense of, I think, responsibility and understanding. And even still now today, he is expected to keep his room clean. He has to keep, you know, up with his laundry. Um, he helps around the house. He's expected to do yard work. And I think how we kind of have always felt that these kiddos, well, they really want to do good. They want to be as normal as, you know, as what we would say, you and I. And, and so we just treated him and we felt like the more normal we treated him, the more he wanted to reach our expectations. Um, and granted there are limitations that sometimes we have, you know, that we face, but you just do the best we can. And I believe that it just kind of, kind of all fell into place in the fact that we didn't treat him like a baby. And in yeah. turn, he didn't act like one. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that's like, I think a lot of times you could put limits on him and kind of decide like, this is all he can do. But I think by you having higher expectations, then he's been able to rise to the occasion and become more responsible. In exactly. Exactly. So another question from Sky was, what does your daily life look like now? So right now we faced a little bit of health challenges with him that we were going through. So he is currently not working at a regular job. Austin, like I said, we have a job board. He gets up every morning at the same time. He's very much so a schedule oriented person. He has to get up at the same time. He has a very much a routine in the morning. He will get up, feed, let his dog out. He does have an emotional support dog. So he gets up, lets his dog out, feeds him, feeds himself. It is oatmeal, hot chocolate, and 10 marshmallows every morning, even if it's 102 degree weather. It is the same routine every morning. Um, and then he goes and looks at his job board and we try and mix it up a little bit. He has his daily job. He, nobody else in our house is allowed to do the dishes. 
he does all the dishes. That is his job. And he actually gets very offended if you try and take that job away from him or do the dishes without him knowing. He likes to draw. He's very much so into drawing. And he's also working on his second book right now. And so he spends a lot of his day working on the second book. And then we'll give him jobs throughout the day that will kind of help us around the house in kind of exchange of kind of being a regular day job for him. For example, we'll have, you know, the, the garage needs to put the tools away on the tool bench or weeding the flower garden or taking care, you know, of getting the firewood stacked or stuff like that. And then he'll have some time to come in and what we call free time and do kind of what he wants where sometimes he'll do his screen time. And then we also try and have him read a little bit each day just to keep up, you know, his skills. Cause we do find that if he doesn't, you know, he, he can possibly regress. He does have a girlfriend. And so he enjoys talking to her on the phone and we try and get them together at least once a week so that they can, you know, interact and enjoy spending time together. He is a night owl, to be honest with you. And so we're generally in bed before he does and he doesn't sleep much. He's, he doesn't require a lot of sleep. Typically, that's pretty much you know, a typical day in the life of Austin, sometimes we'll change it up and he'll go down to the grocery store. He loves to, to browse at anything and everything. And we talk about money and sometimes he likes to buy things in which he uses his own money to, you know, to, to purchase things. And we try as, like I said, again, to let him as much as possible be independent and only step in if we absolutely have to. So he's learned to use a debit card and to push, you know, know the buttons to push and, and he'll only look to us if he gets lost or gets, you know, kind of flustered or whatever. And we pretty much just let him try and do everything that he possibly can independently. Well, that's awesome. And I love that he has a girlfriend. He has <laughs> in his heart. That girl's lucky to have some Austin adoration. Yes. And they're so cute together. <laughs> Such good friends. They're like best buddies. That's cute. So Sky's last question was, how has the dynamic changed between you and your son now that he's an adult, but he still depends on you? This is one of the constant struggles because Austin is very much so a 23-year-old boy, right? <laughs> and he's a man, actually. So it's hard to sometimes to separate the younger Austin to from the adult. I honestly sometimes find myself slipping like, um, do I need to ground you? Well, we can't ground a 23-year-old man, right? It, it's actually been really good for our relationship because we can actually sit down and instead of, you know, scolding or saying you need to go to timeout or I'm going to take this screen time away from you like you would a younger we actually can sit down and have a conversation of what happened and how we could have handled situations differently. I learned so much from his perspective now that he can more verbalize about how he feels and how really how he sees the world, which has been so beneficial because sometimes I see things through his eyes and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, that really does make sense. And we've become a lot closer. And I love that. I love that. Every mother's dream is to have their son or daughter grow up and get married and go away. And ultimately, one day that might be a real, you know, reality for Austin. But I'm also prepared to have him with me for the rest of my life. And I couldn't imagine actually life without him with me because he's such an amazing person to be around. Reminds me of what life truly is to stop and, and relax and just enjoy the moment 
and we just love him to death. Well, Austin is so lovable and I'm so glad that everyone got to hear his voice and get a little part of him because he really is so charming and just such a blessing in in all of our lives. So I have one last question for you. And that is, if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice, where would you go and what would you say? I honestly would probably go way back into my teen years. And, and I would, I think one of the most important things that I would say to myself is to like myself and to trust in myself and to not be so concerned about what everybody else in the world thinks, but to truly trust. And I guess ultimately to believe in myself. And it's taken me a lot of years to to trust my gut and to just really embrace who I am and to like who I am. And I think by doing that, I can be a better person for not only myself, but for my kids too, and be a better advocate for them and teach them to be a better advocates for themselves and to just be okay with being you and who you are. I love that. And I think you've definitely done that for your kids, showing them that they can love themselves. And I'm sure by teaching them that you learn to love yourself more as well. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I loved chatting with you and I'm grateful Austin was able to hop on too. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. I'm glad that we were able to have a little chat. This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. I really appreciate all your support. If this episode helped you, please share it with a friend. Feel free to reach out if you have any recommendations for topics or people that you would like to hear in the next upcoming episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week.